hello there, and welcome once again to Till Dice Do Us Part. I'm George. And I'm Elsa. George, are you sure you're up to this? Yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. The show must go on and all that jazz. Let's do this. But you're covered in bandages and scratches. I, I really think you need a rest from that run-in you had with the crocodile we met at the end of the last episode. No, actually, it was probably an alligator, judging by its snout. It's a heckin' bitey boy, that's what it is. You're a, you look a mess, George. I am perfectly capable of hosting this podcast in my current state. Don't worry. Anyway, how much blood is it that humans are supposed to have inside them? I think it's eight pints. Hmm. Well, I work entirely in metric, so I'm just going to assume that I've probably got enough left. <sighs> Look, if we need to take a hiatus for you to get better, it's okay. We've managed to get all the way up to episode 20. I mean, that's a pretty good milestone. Maybe it's time to wrap up for an end of season break, give you some time to heal. Are we allowed to do that? Do we, like, have contractual obligations here? Contract? Oh... Mrs. Shawnee, are we okay if we need to take a hiatus? Oh yeah, once you cross 13 episodes, you start to build up time in lieu for future absences. If you need to take some time off for your reptilian injuries, darlings, then we can always run a best of episode or get a guest host or something. We can work it out. Guest hosts? I'm not sure who would voluntarily enter into this matter. Oh, hipses! Twike hipses! Twike could ask people about doing the collaborations. Collaborations are great for the engagement. Twike like. I am far too injured to think about this right now. Can we just get episode 20 finished and see how we get on? Okay, but I reserve the right to stop at any time if you start bleeding all over the pop guards. Fine, fine. Okay, so, Ailsa, why don't you tell the folks listening at home what's coming up in today's show? Well, we're going to start off with a quiz in which George is going to test my knowledge on choose-your-own-adventure-style game books and the many different sorts that did, or perhaps didn't, come out over the years. Then we'll be opening up the mailbag for our Ask a GM feature, with the Mailer Demon bringing us another of your queries, which we will attempt to solve with our RPG experience and general know-how. All that, plus an advert for a spin-off from our very own show, as one of our characters is looking to branch out and do their own thing. Yeah, as long as it's not the entire incel doing a political podcast, I'll probably be up for it. Okay then, on with the show! Ah, ooh, pass the TCP, would you? Now, in previous episodes of this podcast, we have mentioned like game books, like choose your own adventure style books a couple of times. We've mentioned the famous five ones that you owned when you were younger, Elsa. Oh, they were so good. And we also mentioned that the author Kim Newman released one called Life's Lottery. I bring this up because I suspect that for many of you, those sort of choose your own adventure books were an important gateway into getting into role playing and the like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had those books for years before I even knew what role-playing was or that it existed. And hypothetically, if you were, like, an only child with no friends and an interest in, in role-playing and nobody would play with you, maybe you would just sit alone doing your fighting fantasy books because it was the closest you could get to D&D &D because everybody would say, no, George, we're not playing D&D &D with you. Hypothetically. 
Well, hypothetically, I mean, I never met a lonely only child who was, well, I mean, I do have a sister, but she didn't come along until I was 10. So I was effectively an only child for my whole childhood. And um, yes, playing adventure games on my own or getting a board game out, setting up all the pieces on the board and then putting them all back in the box no. and putting it away where that was entertainment. Now, before this turns into a therapy session, <laughs> yeah. today I have got a quiz for you, Ilsa, and it is Choose Your Own Adventure game book style themed. Ooh, okay. It was a very big fad, so there was game books for it seemed everything. So today's quiz is called To Start the Choose Your Own Adventure book quiz Turn to 63. And in this quiz, I'm going to give you a collection of titles and intellectual properties that I'm going to purport had a game book release. So like a true or false, you've got to identify the true tomes from the false folios. Oh, okay. okay. Right. Okay. So it's just a, was it real or was it Where the, Was there really one or more? Because sometimes it was whole series, sometimes it was just one, and sometimes I've made it up. Because you would think that these kind of books would have uh, mostly a fantasy setting to them. So with like trolls and dungeons or like princesses and towers. And I certainly had some of those. I would like to assure you that it's a bit more varied than that when no, you start I mean, looking into it. No, like the famous five one with yeah. a test. And I know that they were more sort of, for better word, girly ones as well. Mm. So I imagine quite a lot of licensed properties had these types of games and they're probably pretty easy to produce. And yet, like me, I, it, was, it was usually a... Elsa, we're going on a long car journey. We need to shut you up for a couple of hours. Here's a thing we bought in like the service station. Yeah, so let's see again. We're going into therapy session here, Elsa. Let's move away from that. I loved it. I was quite happy. Okay, let's start off with number one. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Was there a series of choose your own adventure books for Doctor Who? I mean, this... This one sounds so obvious that there would be choose your own adventure books for one of like the jewel in the crown of the BBC's like productions. To be fair, towards the eighties it was getting a bit naff. And the eighties is of course when choose your own adventure books make a big push. They're not invented then no, by any stretch of the imagination. That's when they have their heyday. But that's when in America choose your own adventure and in Britain fighting fantasy come along and really set the set the format. Um. Although, then again, I do know that Doctor Who licensing can be a bit tricksy, specifically with, like, the Daleks and who owns certain things. Yeah, dull fact, the couple of monsters, including the Daleks and the Cybermen, are owned by the estates of the people who wrote them, which did mean when Doctor Who returned to television in the 2000s, there was a brief stage where they didn't know for definite they'd be able to use the Daleks or not because they couldn't get agreement with the Terry Nation estate. Um, but still, it's such a big property, they would have been daft not to. And there would be a huge, huge collector's market for that, not just kids. I'm going to say yes. Correct. Yes. There are two separate series. In the 1980s, I think in the sort of Colin Bakery era, the Sixth Doctor, there was a series of books. And in the modern era, in your kind of David Tennant, Matt Smith one, there was a second series of books. I think they were called Decide Your Destiny. Oh, that's great. They made a comeback. They made a comeback. Oh, that warms my heart. Number two. Tetris. Tetris. If you want to drop the reverse squiggly, go to 27. Okay. Now, 
<laughs> While Shove's Granny Games may have the license for Tetris the role-playing game, or so they claim, I sincerely doubt that they've got enough grasp of proper marketing and franchising to release a choose-your-own-adventure book for Tetris. I mean, I mean, how much can you do? Gilsa, you'd be amazed what Tetris documents have existed. There was a Tetris board game. What? How? You had little plastic pieces that you, you pushed down. So like, like Connect 4? Like Connect 4. I remember seeing that in a toy shop and being like, simultaneously, that looks awesome. But also, even as a kid being aware, that also looks like it's not going to live up to expectations. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say no to Tetris Choose Your Own Adventure. Ladies and gentlemen, and any non-binary people listening, I'd like to assure you, there is no Tetris game book. Thank goodness for that. There are video game based game books. I as a child owned several Mario and Zelda ones. In fact, I think I've still got one of the Mario ones over there. Oh yeah, I mean I can definitely see a Mario plot very easily. I mean they were on the one hand they were clearly in the young audience, but like a lot of choose your own adventure books, there was a surprising amount of ways to die very, very quickly. Sonic the Hedgehog even had some. I mean, speaking of ways to die, I mean is there a kid ever who followed the instructions to the letter? Who'd be like, you know, oh no, the princess is in another castle. Go back to the start. No, you would never go back to the start. You'd just go back to the last page and then choose the other option. I believe the more recent mobile adaptations of fighting fantasy books even explicitly included that as a feature. Like there was an undo feature because like, that's how you all played as a kid. We exactly. Well like I, I've been at this for half an hour. I am not going back to the start. Number three, gladiators. Gladiators, by which I do not mean... So not Russell Crowe. I don't mean Russell Crowe, you know, I will have my vengeance. No, I mean to our American audience, American gladiators. I mean like... Contenders, ready! I mean wolf. I mean like fighting with the big cotton buds on oh, top of the stick. Yes. Running the eliminators. I'm saying gladiators, did they have a choose your own adventure style game book? I loved gladiators so much. That was essential tea time Friday night viewing. I'll have to confess, it's not one that I watched as a kid, but I was very aware of the fact that I was possibly the only kid in my class you were missing out, who George. wasn't watching it. I can't missing remember out. what else we were watching. But I do I do know it was a huge deal. Yeah, and there for was a, couple a, lot, of years. a lot of merch as well. So I'm going to say yes, that there was a Choose Your Own Adventure Gladiators book. I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, this is one of George's stupid ideas, but it's not. It's real. It is a yeah, real... Oh, I want it! I want there's, it! There's more than one. They, really? did, they did multiple of them. <laughs> I mean, I can only assume you put a full-colour picture of Jet and Lightning in the cover and a, oh, yeah, the dads a, will and a lot of dads will buy it. My mum's favourite gladiator was Hunter. Hunter. Was that the one that was with Ulrika Johnson? Yes, he had the long blonde hair. I liked uh, Shadow. I thought he was really cool. He was like a baddie. I mean, even I, with my dim knowledge, still knew who some of these people were. Like Wolf, who famously, the man who portrayed Wolf was also on the cover of several computer games playing a barbarian. Just has that face. He just yeah, had that look. Number four. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. R.L. Stein's 1990s kid-safe horror books. Did they have a choose-your-own-adventure book or books? 
Mm, now, I never read any Goosebumps books. They were a bit after our time, really. They're a bit more of a 90s thing. I mean, I will confess to having read a couple of Goosebumps, despite the fact that I was definitely too old for them. But you're yeah. right, it was just a, just a couple of years out yeah. of our... And there was a Goosebumps TV show, wasn't there? There was a Goosebumps TV show. I remember my sister show. watching that. Um, like our era was more like the point horror books. I was about to say the point horror books were just were I think possibly at the same time, but aimed at a slightly older audience. Because I'm sure there was point romance and a couple mm-hmm. of a point crime. It was a whole I, line of books aimed at I like think I tweens. read one of them. I, I remember something about a lifeguard or something. I didn't particularly care for it. It was the sort of things that like the cool girls in the class it very read. Very much was. So I was like, Oof, I'm not reading that. I, I might read proper horror novels. I might have <laughs> purposely read Goosebumps just to bam up the cool kids in the class now that I think about it. Yeah. But it was a massive deal. It's one of those things that even kids that didn't read books read Goosebumps. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um they, they, they were quite big texts. They weren't they weren't complex reads. Um and again, there was a TV show. I think it would have had enough name recognition, and that sort of solving mysteries theme would fit with the sort of horror light themes of the novels. So I am going to guess yes. That's another win for you. So the Give Yourselves Goosebumps line was a whole series of Choose Your Own Adventure books. I think some of them did feed... There were recurring villains and locations in some of the Goosebumps novels. I think some of them were, oh, you bump into the haunted dummy or you go to the scary camp. Dull nerd fact follows. Go for it. There was a superhero, supervillain related book which was done into one of the episodes of the Goosebumps series. The supervillain was played by Adam West. Really? Yes. Oh, Adam West, the best Batman. I will fight you on this one. The best Batman. I mean, not over counting animated Batman, surely. <laughs> I'm still... Are you putting Adam West above Kevin Conroy? Yes. I think that's... Ladies and gentlemen, I think that is worse than my opinions on... The it's not, no, I'm factor. not saying more talented, I'm just saying better. Well, we're both guaranteed to be Guardian journalists in the future, aren't we? <laughs> Number five. Jackie Collins presents D&D with French Kissing. Jackie Collins presents D&D with French Kissing. Is that a, a real or a fake series? No, no. Okay, so if you don't know who Jackie Collins is, it's sister to movie star Joan Collins. And appeared in an episode of Star Trek, Joan Collins. Is she? She's in City of the Edge of Forever. She's the appealer. <gasps> so she is, yeah. Uh-huh. So She's... yeah, her sister, younger sister, I assume, Jackie, wrote novelist in the, the loosest sense. She wrote kind of before... Before Fifty Shades of Grey, she did slightly racy romance novels for mums. Yeah. Um, they tended... Oh, God, my mum read a couple of them. I've never read a Jackie Collins novel. But it tends to be that, you know, slightly posh setting. Think, like, TV shows like Dynasty or Dallas. It's that sort of... Yeah, there's a bit of glamour to it. And they're all at it with each other. Oh, naughtiness. So... I seem to recall... Yeah, I seem to recall they were a thing. I mean, if it was a knowingly tongue-in-cheek Jackie Collins meets D&D, or if it was like a sort of comic relief charity type thing, like as a laugh, maybe. Um, 
I mean, I assume there was a little bit of humour in her books. I don't see it being enough of a money spinner for her. She was getting more money than D&D could earn her. Yeah, and crucially, like her sister, she was known for her very extravagant lifestyle, extravagant outfits. So for that reason only, I don't think there's enough money in it for her. I'm going to say no. I'm afraid you're right, Ilsa. Although... Although I wish it... I really wish this did exist. It kind of did. Blooming hilarious. Although it didn't exist, it sort of did in that TSR, who made D&D, they produced Endless Quest, which was a series of D&D-themed choose-your-own-adventure books. And they decided they needed to get in on the female market. So they released... She's already making a face because she tells it's going to go bad. Heart Quest! A series of books that combine adventure and romance because women won't be interested in anything unless people get married at the end of it, apparently. Oh, no. I mean, because it's not like, you know, all the market for books about, like, serial killers and documentaries about serial killers are aimed at women or anything. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it was so there was a couple of attempts to do it romance-esque. Choose Your Own Adventure novels. Do you think anyone's ever tried to do a Fifty Shades of Grey Choose Your Own Adventure novel? Because if not, they should. If you want to say, oh my, turn to page two. Yeah. (laughs) Turn to page five for your inner goddess. I have not read Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm just going to take pains to point out. Number six. Transformers. Transformers. They can turn into cars, into planes, into motorcycles, into guns, into tanks, into tape players. But can they turn into choose your own adventure books? Oh, now you would think the answer would be yes, because obviously Transformers was a massive property in the eighties, around the time when you know, like these books had their heyday. the The cartoon really just existed as a, pardon the pun, vehicle with which to sell toys. If this was just yet another marketing vehicle, I'd see no reason why there couldn't be. And of course, there are plots. There was a there's still a long, long running cartoon mm. um, um, and comic book series. So, yeah, I'm going to say yes, there was. Correct. Like Doctor Who, there were two separate series. There was one in the 80s and in the 2000s to go with the Transformers animated cartoon series. There was new books made again. I had one of them. I think in the early 90s, we were like in a family holiday in Blackpool. And like in a market stall, I spotted this like very tatty 1987, 1988 Transformers Choose Your Own Adventure book and snapped it up. Having some of the other interests that I did as a kid, I spent more time in charity shops and secondhand stalls and what have you because I was way more likely to find the sort of stuff I was into rather than the toy shops where all I'm going to get is... I don't know, biker mice from Mars. I like the biker mice from Mars. I'm not contesting that, Elsa. But not having having lived with George for many years, that yes, he can spot a Transformers logo at 20 paces through a charity shop window. Um, but yeah, I'm crushing this quiz just You're now. You're doing really well. You're doing really well, but it ain't over yet. Number seven. Street Fighter 2, Turbo Hyper Fighting. Street Fighter 2, Turbo Hyper Fighting. So that's distinct from Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition or Super Street Fighter 2. I really hope the answer is no, because I uh, any attempt to put Street Fighter into any kind of plot, it almost always fails dismally. But they kept trying. They kept trying. Bless they them. did uh, Ameri- 
Kin Comics. They've done Japanese manga. They've done cartoons. They've done Japanese anime. They've done live-action TV shows. I mean, the animated movie has its charms. Yeah. But, and, and you know, I can't fault Raul Julia in the live-action movie. He's just, you know, tremendous, obviously. But plot-wise, it's pretty yeah. thin on the ground. And it, it just struggles from having too many characters in it. And they had a series of action figures released under the G.I. Joe line, which gave them all guns. Why? I don't know. Why? <laughs> I can only assume they got the license and they divided them out between the Joes and the Cobras and just made them like their random characters in the G.I. Joe universe. The whole point is they're Street Fighters. Nerd fact follows. Ken from Street Fighter, his figure had to be called Ken Masters. Oh, is that so as not to confuse with Barbie's Ken? Exactly. Yeah, I imagine Mattel would have come down really hard on that. Yeah. So yeah, Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting, yes or no? We've we've established earlier they were computer game ones. Mm-hmm. But do you think this was... I think perhaps after the failure of the movie, they just went, no. This is absolutely astounding. Elsa, you're right again. Yeah! Uh, there was no Street Fighter 2 ones. I did look up, though, uh, to check because I really couldn't trust it because they have a Street Fighter 2 everything. And don't lie, you wanted one. I would have. I would have. There were competitive game books, though. Mm-hmm. In particular, Warhammer Warriors was a series, I think it was about six books released by Games Workshop, and each book was a character from Warhammer 40,000, like here is a Eldar warrior, here is a Necromunda ganger. Each book was one character, but when you fought other, each of you had a book, and you f- they would tell you where to go in your book. Like, if you shoot the last gun, the other person goes to page 40. See what oh, happens okay. to them, and then they give you instructions where to go in your book. I got I guess, yeah. I mean, it just, I, I just, I just don't think it really lends itself to any kind of plot based thing. Oh, we had um, the Street Fighter UFC cards. We played that quite a lot back in the day, actually. We did actually. I think there was a period where they were out of production. I think mm. they're back in again. Nice. I had a lot of fun with those. Yeah. Number eight, Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher. What? <laughs> Margaret Hilda Thatcher. Prime Minister of Great Britain between 1979 and 1990, first female Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, former Secretary of State for Education, her, Margaret Thatcher. So, uh, no, like, tagline, no, like, the Iron Lady, choose your own adventure. I mean, you want, like, a title of this book? Yeah. You are Maggie Thatcher. What? No, who would want that apart from, well, you know, Tories? The A. We sold an entire... Did, did Meryl Streep not get an Oscar for The Iron Lady? Yeah, I mean, it's a great film. Um, but... Uh, oh, no, no. Think like a George. Think like a George. I don't see this coming out from a mainstream company because it would be so divisive, so ridiculous, and I can't imagine... Most of the people that voted for Maggie would be the sort of people who'd be into choose your own adventure books. No. I wonder if this is maybe a satirical one, like a like released by like Private Eye or Viz or like a like a comedy. Type yep. Book. Okay. You're thinking it might this might again possibly for charity. This might not be an earnest play as Maggie Thatcher, but uh-huh. it might be. Okay, that's sure. So like maybe like the choices are you know like do you want to shut down the coal mine? 
for the shipping yard. Turn to page 53. Um, and you can just go around being diabolical. That's the only circumstances that I can see this actually selling was if it is done yeah. fully in irony. So is that your answer then? Are we going to go yes for irony or are we going to go no because you don't think anybody can make that funny enough? I kind of think that is peak spitting image humour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can kind of see like the cover with like you know that puppet on the front, like yeah. you are Maggie. So actually, yeah, I'm going to say it is real, but it's a satirical one. Okay, you're right. Yes! Elsa, it gets even funnier. See here in the Till Dice to Us Park studio. Uh-huh. See if you stand up and go to the graphic novel bookcase and go to E for Emerson. E for Emerson. Hang on. Yeah, she's just walking over the bookcase. I think it's um, after Freddie and me, but before um, like Transmetropolitan. Should be a thin white book. Yeah, I own it. It is here. It's... It was literally in your eyeline while you were oh. agonising over whether or not it could possibly exist. Uh, the writing staff for it include Pat Mills, who was a 2000 AD writer, who was part of the creative staff that gave us Judge Dredd. Um, it was sitting beside Garth Ennis, The Boys, and yeah, in between that and Transmetropolitan. Oh, yeah, you're Maggie Thatcher. So I be- a dull playing game. That's the one. <laughs> so the, the playing game. So the gimmick of it is you're basically trying to survive an electoral cycle without either the public voting you out or the Tories backstabbing you. <laughs> so I'm just reading the back here. So in the ultimate role-playing game where you run the country, you make vital political decisions when you want and how you want. Will you wipe out unemployment? Wipe out Nicaragua. Call another election. Say you're sorry. No dice, no brains, or no batteries required. It's not even the only politician one that exists. There was an issue of, if it wasn't 2000 AD, it was a 2000 AD related magazine like Crisis or something, where you, it was similar to your adventure book in for Ronald Reagan. But if you behaved to ethically sound or sensibly your advisors would pull you aside and go, Mr. President, we think somebody is controlling your actions. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Oh, but I, you know what? I actually have seen George read this, but like a decade ago. So yeah, I read, it, I read it on the day she died. <laughs> Can I say after, not before? It wasn't like I jinxed her by playing it. <laughs> I mean, that's not the worst thing that any Glaswegian did on the day she died. Well, exactly. There was some shameful behaviour in George Square on that day. Number nine, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wow. Ooh, this is a tough one. Oh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Arguably a contender for my favourite film of all time. Did it have a choose-your-own-adventure book? Mm. So I suppose that it's a product of the 70s, really, but there is a massive, massive fan community, like really dedicated, loyal fan base that would have persisted well into the 80s. And I mean, you know, it's a kind of cult thing where I'm pretty sure there was 80s computer games. There's definitely a like 90s, 2000 CD computer game that has Sir Christopher Lee as the narrator. Oh, amazing. We've seen it a few times live. Uh, We saw Christopher Biggins as the narrator once. We did see Christopher Biggins as the narrator once, which is funny because as well as being a British comedian, he is also one of the Transylvanians in the film version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So yeah, there's there's definitely been things 
kept being made oh. for the Rocky Horror, would a Choose Your Own Adventure book be one of them? Oh, no. Because the plot is so sort of fixed, I can't see what you would do with it. Like, where would you go? Unless it's like the sort of continuing adventures of Brad and Janet, if you're like verging more into sort of shock treatment territory. I don't, I don't know. I just can't see where it would go and what you would do. Because you wouldn't want to deviate too far away from like those sort of classic moments in the film. So that, that sounds like you're erring towards a no. While I can see it would absolutely fit into that sort of rabid fan community who would probably like that sort of thing and who would just collect anything and everything with, you know, those red lips on the cover, I, I just can't see how it would work. So I'm going to say no. It does not exist. I'm, I'm kind of glad, actually. Okay. There is at least one Richard O'Brien project that has a Choose Your Adventure book, though. Oh, is it Crystal Maze? It is the Crystal Maze. Originally in this quiz, I was going to have the joke answer be Fort Boyard, which is like a French TV show which was later done in, in Britain. Into the Crystal Maze. But it was converted to Crystal Maze and then converted direct in the 90s as Fort Boyard with Melinda Messenger um, as the... Unfortunately, it turns out in France, there genuinely were Fort Boyard Choose Your Own Adventure books like the Crystal Maze ones. Oh. So, yeah. But yeah, there we go. Slightly controversial opinion here, and George has heard this one oh, before. Here we go. I know that Richard O'Brien, to most people, is the Crystal Maze. But to me, my favourite presenter was... Ed Tudor Paul. Of Ten Paul Tudor, like, punky band fame. Yeah. Oh, and, and he's in um, that film about Dungeons and Dragons as well. Gamers. Yeah. I mean... And that is purely because when I came back to this country, I saw the Ed Tudor Paul era. I hadn't ever seen the Richard O'Brien years of presenting. So to me, he was the presenter. And it was a well before I realised that, that, you know, there had been another one. Plus, he was just kind of dreamy. And, wow! You know, I was so, well, I was ten. Okay. So the first and, man that you've like crushed on in this podcast is Ed Tudorpol. Yes. I I will say here I think Ed Tudorpol gets a lot of unfair uh, criticism. But it's mostly because he's not Richard O'Brien. But he is a perfectly good presenter. And in the modern era, you had Stephen Merchant did it for that charity one, and then obviously now Richard Ayoade does oh, it. Oh, he's another one of my crushes, Apart Richard Ayoade. Partly the only men that Ilsa will, will lust after are men who have been on the Crystal Maze. So, <laughs> it's, uh, just, it's my thing. Watch okay. out, Stephen Merchant, you're next. I just do it. Um, I just, I just go for nerdy blokes. That's just my thing. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, I can't I think, think, you know, anyone in this room who's benefited from that. Anyway, the point is, I think now they're having more people that have hosted Crystal Maze, maybe we can look back in the Ed Tudor poll era more, more gracefully. Number 10. Also, he just had a really cool coat that I wanted. Number 10. Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy. The Nickelodeon cartoon by that one that's a wrongin. Yeah, he's he's been cancelled well and truly for, for very good For very reasons. valid reasons. And unfortunately, while Ren and Stimpy back in the 90s was very well thought of, it has not entirely escaped the taint of well, his actions. I think the problem is that as time went on and he's tried to redo it again and again and again, um, it 
there's been a very much a downward trend. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I wasn't ever really a fan. I never really watched it. It wasn't my favourite of the Nickelodeon cartoons. Yeah, it wasn't my personal sense of humour. Nah, I know some like folk in my class watched it and they would just like endlessly repeat the catchphrases yeah. over and over, which is a bit annoying. I was more fond of, there was Ren Stimpy comic book that Marvel did. And I found that more enjoyable than the actual Brett and Stimpy cartoon. I don't know if it was just the format or what. Mm, they... There's a lot hanging on this because I'm currently nine for nine, aren't I? You are. And Ren and Stimpy choose your own adventure book. It would fit the target demographic of like slightly like older preteen kids. Um, I mean, Ren and Stimpy, I think, was aimed at kind of older to older teenagers but the only ones that seemed to watch it were the preteen boys yeah. they're being really edgy and i think there's enough crossover into that sort of nerdy 90s-ness that it would fit and there's enough sort of adventures and like hijinks they can get up to an horribleness that you could have for a choose your own adventure book unless like the creator i mean we just all know that he's a bit of a creepy you know, can't keep his hands to himself kind of guy. Would he have been very precious about his property? That's the only thing. I mean, I can tell you that he was precious about his property, but also Nickelodeon kicked him off his own property. That's right. He got kicked off his own show. Yeah. So I wonder if once he was out of the picture, if they were free to sort of franchise out a little yeah. bit. I, in which case, I'm going to say that, yes, there was a Red and Stimpy Choose Your Own Adventure book. Okay. And the answer to this one, ladies and gentlemen, is... Kinda, yeah! I think we'll call that a true! So, there's not a dedicated book, but the comic book series that I mentioned had an issue that was a choose-your-own-adventure story. To be exact, it was a time-travel-related choose-your-own-adventure story where you would reread the same page two or even three times depending on which pair of Ren and Stimpy's you were your current ones you oh, were following. Oh, okay. Okay, that's fun. Um, okay, no, but so we're counting that? I'm, I'm counting, counting that. Yes! Counting that. Whoop, 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 whoop! Oh, no. No, what's that? What's that? Oh, no, Elsa, it's an 11th question! An 11th question has just run in with a steel chair! Oh, bonus round! Yes. Number 11. Club 42, a choose-your-own erotic fantasy. What? Club 42, choose your own erotic fantasy. What? What's Club 42? So that's not like Club 18 to 30? No, no, no. In, in the context of this story, Elsa, Club 42 is a is apparently a New York uh, strip club uh, where you are in it and you are, you know, you have to get through your, your day life. What? So are you a stripper or are you a punter? Oh, no, no, you're, 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 you're a performer. Oh, right, so you're a performer. Okay, in which case, yeah, there's loads of like hazards you would need to navigate in that case. And sort of backstage politics, I'd yeah. imagine, a la showgirls. Oh, actually, that sounds quite cool. And I can't imagine George would have included a bonus question unless it was an actual thing. You say that, Elsa, but I could be really stupid and tell you that it's not Club 42, it's Club 32 or something. Oh, I am that vindictive. You would do that. You are that petty. Yes. Well, actually, that does sound quite fun. I can't imagine who would have released it or for what audience. But I kind of want that to be a thing. So yeah, I'm going to say it's a thing. Elsa, it is a thing. And extra funny, it is a 
Choose your own adventure novel written by adult performer Joanna Angel, and it's not even the only choose your own adventure book she's written. No, because I've got Night Shift. Yes, that's yes. Night Shift is her first, and Club Forty Two is her second. Oh, so awesome. apparently, she's just decided she's going to get that niche of choose your own adventure books, but people get naked in them. I think she is just quite nerdy in real yeah, life. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Everybody should go and buy Joanna Angel's books and or films and or OnlyFans. Hashtag spawn. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're sex worker positive here. We're also partly very quiz positive because despite the addition of an 11th question, you've managed to score maximum points and get 11 out of 11. I got, oh my gosh, I'm like Amy Santiago getting 11 out of 10. I am so smart. I am so smart. SMRT. I mean, S-M-A-R-T. I hope you, the listeners, also managed to get 11 out of 11. Or if not, we'd be curious to know which ones stumped you and why. And maybe you can share with us some of the stranger Choose Your Own Adventure novels that you had in the past or indeed the present. Yeah, you can contact us at Tildice Podcast on all the socials or email us tildicepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to stop the podcast now, go to 85. If you want to continue to the next segment, go to 26. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Coming soon to the Till Dice Network, a whole new show starring me, Tuppy Juniper Smythe. Yes, that's right. You'll be able to hear me in my new luxurious bedroom, sitting on the four-poster bed that my good friends Gwyneth and Chris helped me move in, even though they were getting consciously uncoupled because they so wanted to help me settle in. Anyway, on the four-poster bed will be a range of guests who will be sharing their thoughts with me. And first up is going to be the infamous Demilich, a Sererac of the Tomb of Horrors. I don't think of the tomb as a haunted house. I think of it as a haunted home. Aceravac is going to talk a bit about his fashion sense as I ask him, where does he get those gems that are mounted in his floating skull? Oh, it's the best little jeweler shop on the whole quasi-plane, Tuffy. You just have to check it out. What new treats does he have in store for visitors to the tomb this autumn? Anyone can poison Halloween candy, but poisoned Halloween candy that automatically raises you from the dead? That's innovation, baby! And of course, we'll be asking him his thoughts. Now it's been a few years since those tabloid headlines. When I looked into the eyes of the Atropel, I realised, even if it's an eight-foot-long undead godchild, it's still a child. And I need to get my <laughs> together for it. So please, keep your eyes and ears peeled for In Bed With Tuppy, launching soon. It's going to be the best thing since that sourdough that Amal Clooney baked me to say thanks for babysitting the twins for her. I mean, she said George baked it, but I don't think I'd trust anyone that was involved in Batman and Robin with something as precious as a sourdough starter. Okay, let's have a look at what's in the mailbag today. One second, my lady. Let me just go through the latest arrivals. 
Bill. 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 Blood donation request. Blood donation refusal. Blood donation, please stop sending us blood we didn't ask for. Oh, it's a letter from next door advising that their cat is still missing. Such a shame. No one knows what flensing-related mishap may have happened to him. Oh, I think this one might be for you. Oh, what, what is it? Wait, wait. Yes, yes, the definite stench of a mortal in desperation for you. Oh, that'll definitely be for us, thank you. Oh, and uh, one for me, it's uh, a dry cleaning bill. Having flensing as one's hobby does incur certain negatives. Um, thank you, Mailer Demon. Bye. I just wanted to have a podcast where we talked about role-playing games. Hmm, that's weird, and letter smells perfectly normal to me. Anyway, it says, Dear Till Dice Podcast, One of my players always picks the same kind of character. It doesn't matter what genre or setting we play. They will do everything they can to get as close as possible to this particular favourite type of character. It's becoming a bit of a running joke. Is there anything I can do to deal with this? And that's been sent from really another new goddamn elf ranger from Stereotype Land. Right. I mean, is this a problem per se? Oh, I mean, obviously, if people in the group are tense about it, then you've got a problem of sorts. But it's not necessarily the person within another elf ranger that's the problem. So we should say this is not that uncommon a thing to bump into. You might not have it in your immediate gaming group, but I suspect most of you in the broader pool of players in your town, there'll be at least one person who always plays an elf ranger or always plays a dwarf fighter or always plays a whatever. It's, it, it's, it is a thing. And from a GM's point of view, it can feel quite frustrating. It can feel like you've put work into creating a setting. You've put time into world building and creating these new NPCs and and cultivating things. And then along comes Jim, who sits down with with Thognar the Barbarian number 17. I mean, I know that you're saying that from the GM's perspective, but from the player's point of view, I mean, I don't think that it necessarily means that they haven't put effort into making the character, even if it is the same kind of character. It doesn't mean they haven't thought about the game world. Mm. I mean, they may have taken their favourite character and taken time to tweak it or make it fit. They might actually enjoy taking parts of the game world and shaping it around that thing that they find familiar. So, for example, if they always want to play a character that's dual wielding, they will spend time, you know, scouring the rule books to make it fit around their character. I mean, there's some people seem to have this assumption that playing D&D is like being a Shakespearean actor and you have to be capable of every individual role to be a real player. And like, if you're only playing one class or what have you, you're somehow inferior. But like... You're not Daniel Day-Lewis. You're playing D&D, all right? Yeah, I mean, you know what? If you like to play Elf Rangers, that's absolutely yeah. fine. From a certain point of view, this person is telling you really up front what they want. This Elf Ranger person is saying, we play D&D. You know what I want to be? I want to be an Elf Ranger. 
Yeah, and whatever you do, whatever you throw at them, they'll just take it as long as they can be that favourite character. And if you are trying to sell them in a new game or a new system, you know the immediate in. If I've got the guy that always plays dwarfs, and I'm like, well, look, I'd like to play a game set in Warhammer 40,000. How can I appeal to the guy that plays dwarfs? Well... We've got a really easy sell there. Yeah, there's a race called squats. They're space dwarfs, mate. We can work with that. If you've got a person who really likes wizards, then I know when I sit down to describe the system to him, he's going to ask, how does the magic system work? And I have to describe that. I can, you know, I know straight away. I mean, sometimes when you're trying to sell a new system to players, they can um and ah mm-hmm. and not be sure. But that type of player, if you can hook them, yeah, you they can potentially then get the rest of the group engaged. In a weird way, they can sometimes be easier because you know what you're getting. However, the problem then becomes when their premise doesn't fit in, does that ruin the whole thing? If they have a premise for their character which just does not work in certain campaign settings. So, for example, there was a gentleman I played with where almost every character he played fell into some of the following categories. Female, Japanese, teenage, superpowered. So like a sort of Sailor Moon-esque. Kind of, yeah. And again, in some settings, that's not difficult, okay? So when we played a superhero game, he played a superpowered martial artist, a sort of like Katana um, from DC Comics type. And when we played in D&D then we could put in this sort of like young sorceress who's got magical powers. Great. But then you want to play Pendragon. And if you're in the middle of 5th century England and there is like a bunch of 25 to 30 year old Dark Ages knights and suddenly Sailor Jupiter is there, there is going to come a point where you're going to say, you know what, maybe you should play something else. It's a bit jarring, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, again, like in Star Trek, if, if if in our Star Trek game you said, I want to play a more teenage, a younger character, like a cadet or somebody's child, that's not a problem. But if we are playing Traveller, we're still in we're science also, fiction. You're all supposed to be like grizzled veterans. Right. The Traveller rule system specifically uses your age to determine your starting skills. You could play a teenager but you're making your life and everyone else's life harder by doing it. Yeah, I mean, there are some occasions, I'm thinking back to games that we've actually reviewed on this show before. So, for example, Night Witches or Hellcats and Hockey Sticks, where that's like the game of schoolgirls. You have to play female characters in those games. And it would change it notably if you break that. Uh, I mean... you could just about if you maybe said oh let's play Dairy Girls then there's a reason that there's one boy oh because Dairy Girls one set in Northern Ireland is, is it an English cousin or something uh, yes that's right if, if you haven't ever seen Dairy Girls go straight to Channel 4 look it up it's hilarious but yeah you, you told me it's the English boy that comes over Northern Ireland so they put him in the old girls school because they, they thought he'd get beaten up otherwise yeah, yeah. probably <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah I mean if you if you have this sort of person in your group you might need to just take them aside and say look we're playing this particular game i'm wanting to run this particular setting it might just not be your game mate or you have to understand what you're getting yourself into before you sign up for the six weeks again there's an assumption again the gaming group is like some 
magical fellowship who must always play together. But there's no shame in having some friends who play with you in some games and not others. And it might be that you sometimes have to say, sorry, Stephanie, but I just don't think Vampire is going to be the game for you. But when we come back round, this is obviously easier if you're playing short bursts games. If you're the kind of person that's going to be playing D&D for three years and someone's got an idea that can't work in your D&D campaign, you've got a bigger issue. I mean, something I have done in the past is I have created a game world and I have purposely shaken up some of the fantasy stereotypes. And as a consequence, somebody arrives with a default based on those fantasy stereotypes, they have to tweak it a bit. So, like in one campaign saying I played all the elves were aquatic and based on Imperial Rome. In another setting I played all the elves were Norse. In another that I played in, all the elves were specifically like foot tall fairy pixie types. So if you turn up with your Legolas equivalent, it had to go through some changes. You couldn't just be, I am, you know, Wood Elf of the Forest number 17. It's like, yeah, but our elves come from Scandinavia. You've got to come with at least a little bit of Norse flavour. And that can vary things up a little bit. I mean, the negative I'm seeing there, though, is you might have removed their favourite thing about the game. And you might think, oh, I've solved the problem. But they might be sitting there not enjoying right. it. Because like, I turned up for this one thing and one thing only. It's like you did that. It's like in episode 15 where we talk about when a GM does a bait and switch and the player's just sitting there going, this is not what I turned up for. It's not cool. Again, you've got a couple of nuances. You've got a couple of issues here that the problem might not be with the player who's doing it. The problem might be that everyone else is getting annoyed and that's not exactly the same thing. And look, there's lots of reasons why people will pick the same character. Like I said, they're not Daniel Day-Lewis. They're not trying to get an Oscar, all right? They might have studied the rules of a class or a race so well that they know it inside out. They might find the thought of having to change that, to undo all that knowledge. Kind of intimidating. They might feel really confident playing that character class and worry that they'll look foolish if they suddenly change to bard and have to learn 50 different spells and 8 new feats. And it's not just the time that they would need to spend learning all the new feats and skills and spells or whatever you know if you're talking about like the larger big complicated games like D&D they might have spent a lot of money in buying books mm, they could and have bought, supplements yeah and, they could have bought supplements specific for that yeah, class and they've spent time studying these books and put in some serious cash you yeah. know and, and you know I, I think they'd be pretty miffed to be told you can't you know all that hard work has been for naught yeah, I mean, they might just plain old want to focus on what yeah. they know best. Right. And I mean, to some extent, you can't really help what you like and don't like. Again, you mentioned like our bait and switch thing. It might be awkward for you that there's this person in the group who always plays an elf ranger and it feels tiresome to you, but they like elf rangers and that's just what they like. And you can tell yourself, I'll make them like something else. But it's like, whoa, dude, stop and think about what that sentence really sounds like. I mean, look, they might have got into it because, you know, they came with previously existing interests and hobbies, right? If they come into it from another TV show or another film or another book, 
maybe that favourite character class is connected to their other interests. No, just, they like it, they like it, and their feelings aren't invalid. Yeah, I mean, it's not fair to tell somebody your feelings are wrong just because you find it awkward. I mean, when you talk about that sort of emotional aspect, you know, you can develop emotional attachments and connections to particular characters. You know, let's say it is Legolas, that person might have a really strong memory from their youth where, you know, it, it might sound a bit trite, but Legolas helped them through a rough time in their life. And, you know, that character could remind them of something or somebody special, you know, a personal relationship. It might be somebody that they really want to emulate. They look up to them. They've got a special meaning because their granddad always used to read them Lord of the Rings and mm. did a really funny voice for Elegolas. You know, but some people like go full on with, you know, the characters that they idolise. They might base real aspects of, you know, how they dress, their interests, their hobbies on these characters. So it is a big emotional investment for some folks. I can't think of anybody whose mode of dress is influenced by the fictional characters he likes is George the Doctor Who fan with his pocket watch. And collection of bow ties. And waistcoats and bow ties. Yeah, but yeah, they can be telling you in a way something about themselves. When they say, I think that the elf ranger or I think the dwarf fighter is the coolest character, they're sort of imparting some knowledge to you, okay? Yeah, they're telling you something really important about themselves. And you know, that sort of strong bond they have that sort of special escapist, you know, connection. Not necessarily fair to take that away from them just because you're miffed about it. Yeah, I mean, to sort of make a more real-world, tangible comparison, you know, everybody's got a favourite food and that can have a real emotional connection. You know, you love to eat apple crumble because that's what your granny used to make you. You know, you might have a favourite film... You've memorised all the words. You've laughed before the jokes happen on screen. You know, everybody's got that experience. I mean, like, you know, you get some cosplayers who, you know, do lots of different characters. They go to every convention as a brand new character. And you get some cosplayers who do the same character again and again and again. Maybe they improve the outfit or they do, like, a different variation of the costume. But, like, again, we know a cosplayer whose gimmick is Batwoman. Yeah, she always does Batwoman. And, you know, its character is very important to her. And that's, you know, that's not in any way in fear. And somebody there's lots of different outfits. That's somebody and, showing their passion. Yeah, and that costume wasn't cheap either. <laughs> no, the truth. So, um, you know, she's very justified in wanting to get her use out of it. I mean, I would say one game mechanical thing, especially in the games of D&D, when things are very structured by role and class. Let's imagine, Ilsa, that I am playing the human cleric, okay? Okay. Okay. And we're playing in like D&D third ed or before, but there isn't really anybody else who could do healing apart from the cleric. Great. But what do you do if nobody wants to play the cleric? We have been in that situation before. Frustration might be if you turn up with a group, if everyone's made brand new characters covering all kinds of archetypes. And you're like, oh, cool. There's just a cleric left. I'm playing a dwarf fighter. Really? Really? Again? And that might make other people feel they have to effectively change their plans. Yeah, so it's like putting one person's interest and comfort level above another and forcing another player to take a character that they didn't actually actually want. want. Or you have to play the game knowing we're missing a cleric, we're going to have serious problems and we're doing this just because Jane 
can never not play a bard. Mm. I mean, again, that's I would say that's a mostly D and D problem. I would say that a lot of our systems are a bit more flexible than that. But any game system might have that if it becomes really obvious. You know, our superhero team is full of super strong people. You don't have any ranged attacks, but Jim over here always has to play. You know, muscle man McMuscles. <laughs> is that? So I'm just now imagining like the action figure for Muscle Man McMuscles. I'm like he's like a stretch Armstrong, but like his muscles stretch, like his pecs. I, I don't know. I'm working I, on it. I am imagining him looking like the Malibu Comics character Prime, who I will show you later on. But it's if somebody tried to invent Shazam, Captain Marvel in the '90s with all the uber abs that you could that I would entail. Malibu Prime, they had to go. Well, this conversation's gone places. Anyway, back on topic here. Look, as a GM, when players bring you their characters, they're kind of giving you hints as to what they want to see in the game, how they want to interact with your game world. We talked about this before. We were talking about outlier characters in a previous episode, that if somebody turns up with this, they're kind of telling you what they like about the game. So... You know, to some extent as a GM, you can't just turn up with your idea and expect everyone else to adjust to suit your vision, right? You're not Quentin Tarantino, mate. You're not some auteur. You also have to... I mean, if you were Quentin Tarantino, you'd mostly just have lots of encounters with feet golems, but that's neither here nor there. You have to also change your plans to accommodate them. And that might mean that if someone keeps running with the elf rangers, well, you need to make sure you put bits in that an elf ranger can interact with. Yeah, so you need to maybe shoehorn in some more stealth missions, and or if there are more sort of rangery type, you know, encounters, don't rush through them. So I mean, even if you have done a thing before, like they've got an opportunity to solve a puzzle or hide in a tree, or you know, if they're like playing a bard, you give them opportunities to tell a story. In our superhero game, we have a character called White Knight, who is this sort of fascist-type character. And we have great fun defeating him time and time and time again, because people like it. One of the players will specifically request, every time we start a new block, it'll be, when is White Knight turning up? I want to punch him in his stupid face. Yeah, I mean, people enjoy repetition, familiarity. It's cosy, it's safe. So, you know, if the GM is designing a game world or a campaign, ask yourself, how does this person, this player, fit into the game world? So, if they're always playing a ninja, make sure there's a wall to climb or a delicate trap to navigate. Right. If they always play wizards, and you're going to make sure you've thought about how are wizards taught in this world? Are there colleges? Are there, like, masters and apprentices? Make sure you've got that up front. Ultimately, just bear in mind, people can have fun in different ways and it can be a challenge rather than an obstacle. And yet the challenge can be how can you as a GM incorporate elements of their favourite character into the game rather than expecting them to fit around you. Okay, so I hope that answers your question, Ranger. Oh, it's an acronym! Oh, very clever, isn't it? Yeah. Now, why don't you... Cue the next bit while I go through these bills. Time to close the door on episode 20 and time to do our end of episode admin. 
please subscribe to our show via your preferred podcast app. And we'd really appreciate it if you can please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict. You can contact us via email with any questions or feedback on tildicepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you're enjoying and what you'd like to hear more of. You can also follow and message us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Tildice Podcast, where Twike the Social Goblin posts additional content, whether we like it or not. Our theme tune is Funny Adventures by Winnie the Moog, and additional music this episode was Acid Trumpet by Kevin MacLeod. Both are used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Our logo was created by Neil Slorence. His website is neilslorence.com. If you're enjoying the show and feeling generous, you can buy us a virtual coffee at ko-fi.com slash podcast. Any money you give to us will go towards hosting costs, recording equipment, and more plasters to cover my copious amount of alligator-inflicted wounds. Thanks again for listening. A short hiatus may follow while George heals up, but we'll be back with you once he's fully recovered. Actually... I'd be happy to be a replacement host in this emergency situation. Nay chance! I'm sick, but I'm not that sick. See you all soon. Bye! Bye.